You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Timeform, the trusted source of racing data and analysis, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Racing App, in partnership with FitzDares. Good morning, thanks for listening. Charlotte Greenway here, filling in for Nick again this week for the first couple of days before Tom Stanley takes over. I'm joined today by the Racing Post Lee Mottershead and we'll be reflecting on another Grade 1 success for Pick Dorhey at the weekend and discussing where the defeat leaves Lompresse as a Gold Cup contender. Ben Pauling bagged three at Ascot and he plots out future targets for them as well as providing an update on his Cheltenham squad while jockeys Kit Alexander and Safi Osborne are also along to reflect on their respective successes over the weekend when riding for their fathers. Lee, we'll start with the weekend highlight, the Grade 1 Ascot chase that went the way of Pick Dorhey, Harry Cobden and Paul Nichols. And while a lot of press after the race has concentrated on the rides given to those in behind, I think it's probably only right that we give credit first to the winner and his jockey because they were both very good and got it spot on. He was very good, yeah. I mean, I, I put it to um, owner Johnny Delahaye, um, joint owner Johnny, Johnny Delahaye, after the race that that this must have been his gold cup. We use that phrase, his gold cup. You know, in the sense he wasn't, he was never going to go to Cheltenham. And Johnny made the point that the Melling Chase Aintree might well be his gold cup as well. So he might have two gold cups in a season in terms of two big targets. But I, the, the Delahaye family. Their um, affection and love of Ascot is well known. They live 10 minutes from the track. Paul Nichols invariably sends a strong team of horses to Ascot for them. And Pink Dory is their best horse. He's been a flagship for them uh, for some time now. He has picked up the mantle ones carried by CNM. And, 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 and like him, he is very good around Ascot. And I thought he got a very good ride to win as well. Harry Cobden, who is now edging ahead in the Jockeys' Championship race. Well, that one sounds, looks set to go on right until uh, at the end of April. He, he was very smart on on Pink Door. He, he grabbed uh, a big lead early on. And not so much as he caught his rivals napping. I don't, I don't, I don't think the riders of Long Press and Hoist and Your were necessarily keen to go uh, as forward as he was in the early stages. So it was a perfect storm for, for Pink Door on Saturday. And, and ultimately... He won very well. And at Ascot, in, in that sort of race, in those sorts of conditions, he's a very good horse. He is. And you mentioned that, you know, the jockeys in behind, sort of Charlie Deutsch and Derek Fox in particular, may not have had the intention to jump off and go like that. But do you agree with sort of Sir Anthony McCoy's comments after the race saying, you know, what, what were they thinking, letting him have such a lead? He was all, always going to be the horse with the most pace in the race and they were always going to struggle to to peg him back. Yeah, I can certainly see where he's coming from. And I'm not going to challenge Sir Anthony McCoy in a, in a jockey analysis race. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I, I can see where he's coming from. And I think if I was um, a backer of Long Press or Hoy Senor, having read what's and or heard what Sir Anthony McCoy said, um, I would maybe um, agree with him. But having said that, I don't think it made any difference to the result. I think the way Long Press raced on on Saturday, it was pretty clear that um, he was running over an inadequate trip on ground that was probably too quick for him. Again, I didn't think he jumped 
as well as he'll probably need to jump if he's going to be properly competitive in a Gold Cup. But I spoke with Andy Edwards, the owner, one of the owners, about two hours before the race, Charlotte, at, at Ascot, and he, he was very clear um, that this wasn't uh, a race that would determine his horse's Gold Cup prospects. It was actually very interesting talking to him because he made the point that whatever happens here, his Gold Cup chance is the same as it was yesterday in the sense that he is the same horse. He won't be a different horse after the Ascot chase than what he went into the Ascot chase. Um, I think what will be different is the race at Cheltenham. And if they do go, if they do get the sort of ground that he really would revel in with, with some proper cut in the ground, I think he's still a player. Um, and I thought it was interesting that Lucinda Russell was very positive about Ahoy Senor's run. She was clearly delighted with, with him, even though at face value he's run a long way below his, his best. But I think he is also the sort of horse that if he gets into a nice rhythm in a Ryanair chase or even a, a Gold Cup, he, he, he could yet excel himself and I can't see him winning a Gold Cup. But I, I could see him I could see him perhaps springing a shock in, in a Ryanair chase if everything went right. Although, he, again, he, he does have that capacity to clout a fence at the most uh, inopportune moment. And just looking at L'Ompresse for the Gold Cup, I know you mentioned there that Andy Edwards said, well, he's the same, still going to be the same horse as he was the day before. He is, but he's just had a few more chinks in his armour exposed, I would argue. So where do you think he stands now as a Gold Cup contender compared to what it was before the weekend? You know, if the ground comes up quick in the Gold Cup or quicker on decent ground, he might just struggle and his jumping might be put to the test. Yeah, I think that's that's all fair comment. Um, would I fancy him as much as I fancied him before the race? Uh yeah, I, th- I think I, I think I probably would, and I would be happy that I'm now getting what widely held to now fourteen to one with bookmakers who offer a non-runner no bet um, qualification to the odds as well. So yeah, the Ascot run wouldn't put me off, but against that, Charlotte, am I saying that I would be keen to be backing him right now? Well, well, I, I wouldn't just because I think it's a a deep goal cup. And do I think at this stage he is one of the very likeliest winners? I probably don't. And not, not least because of that ground issue that you raise. If we do get a, a good, I don't imagine we'll get a good ground gold cup, but a good to soft ground gold cup, he probably wouldn't be as happy on it as some of his rivals would be. Um, at the minute, I think uh, Galapan de Shaw, Fast or Slow and Shishkin are arguably more likely winners of the gold cup than the non-press um, but he's a fascinating runner in the race he deserves to be in the race and Team GB are short of legitimate contenders he is one of them Well it was a successful afternoon at Ascot on Saturday for Ben Pauling who joins me on the line now Ben, firstly, well done a treble on Saturday with Pick Rock, Henry's friend and Honor Gray very nearly a four-timer it must have been a real buzz for you and everyone in the yard Yeah, it was great um, we all like being competitive on the bigger days, especially on Saturdays at Ascot and, and alike. And um, yeah, it was one. It was it was it was a remarkable day, really. Um, we we went there thinking they were all in good order uh, and could all run well. But I genuinely said to Ben Jones, you know, if we bag one winner, mate, we'll have had a good day. And. Um, Everything everything seemed to fall into place quite nicely as the day went along, really. 
You mentioned Ben Jones there. He's proving himself as more than an able deputy to uh, Keelan Woods while he's uh, sort of sidelined. And he's always someone that seems to have a smile on his face as well. Yeah, yeah. He is a happy chap, is young Ben. Um, yeah, he's been great. Um, when Luca retired through uh, weight issues at the start of this season, uh, Ben had ridden a couple for us um, at the back end of last season and advertised his sort of skills. And it was, you know, I was very quick to sort of speak to Ben and say, you know, would you fill the void that Luca leaves, of which he's been delighted to do. And um, obviously with the time off that Woodsy's had to have, um, there was plenty of opportunities uh, handed Ben's way and he's grasped them both. Uh, he's grasped them all with both hands and um, he's doing a very good job. Uh, the highlight, I'm sure, of Saturday was Henry's friend in the Reynolds town. That was a grade two. He looks like he's improved for fences and also just improved as he stepped up in trip. Where do you head next with him? Um, the jury's slightly out. I mean, he's in the amateur chase um, at Cheltenham and I, I almost ruled it out straight away after the race because I, I, whilst watching the race, I knew he had to improve um, on anything he'd done before. Um, I thought he was capable of improving, um, but I thought he left plenty on the track there at Ascot the other day. Uh, and yesterday morning, he was outrageously fresh um, to trot up and as if he hadn't even had a race, which I found extraordinary. So he has the option of the National Hunt Chase, but we won't be making any uh, decisions on that as yet. Uh, and if he doesn't go there, then he probably goes straight to Aintree or something like that for uh, one of the novice chases there, I would imagine. But um, he's a horse massively on the improve and uh, we're really happy with how he's coming along. And long term, where do you see him? Could he make up into sort of, I don't know, maybe a Hennessy horse next year? Yes, very much so. Um, I think he's without doubt uh, a horse that we should be targeting uh, at the Hennessy or the Coral Gold Cup as it is now. Um, and um, to me, he's tailor-made tailor for that race. And um, yeah, really happy with how he's, how he's progressing, really. I mentioned a bit earlier it was very nearly a four-timer. Uh, bad, he's not proving easy to win with. And I think McCoy mentioned on ITV, on their coverage, that something at Cheltenham, a big handicap, lots of runners where they go quick, might suit him. But what would he get in off his mark? He'll obviously probably go up a little uh, bit for Saturday. He'll go up a few, won't he? Um, he probably won't get into uh, a Coral Cup or a or a boys race uh, he might get into a county um, we'd have a look at that I suppose um, but I have a sneaky suspicion that if he wasn't to get into something at Cheltenham he might be quite well suited by the Constellation race uh, at Kempton on the Saturday uh, if they even do those Constellation races anymore or that whatever the two and a half mile uh, handicap is on the Saturday at Kempton that could suit well but it, he's without doubt in my head he's a horse with loads of ability and he's not from six now in England um, and we've run very well in Jerry Fieldens and there on Saturday we gave him a wind up before Saturday and to me 
a few people have sort of said, oh, you know, is he actually trying to put his head in front or not? And I, I do firmly stand by the fact that these horses sometimes take a run to trust themselves. And to me, it looked like when he came off the bridle, he just half thinking about his wind uh, because after he got headed halfway the running, he was fighting back again. Um, and I'm confident that it won't be too long until he puts his head in front. And I think he'll win a decent handicap before the season's out. Just looking at the rest of your Cheltenham team, how's that shaping up? I think you've got some smart novice hurdlers heading there. Yeah, we've got a particularly strong bunch of um, novice hurdlers. Obviously, we've got to meet the Irish now, um, which is never easy. Um, but I've got, hopefully, tell her the name. I just think the world of him. He's in amazing form. Obviously, he was supposed to go to the Betfair hurdle, but um, ground put pay to that. Uh, he'll go to Kempton for a racecourse gallop um, in 10 days, two weeks, mm, 10 days, week, week tomorrow, actually. Um, and hopefully that'll put him spot on um, so he'll run in the Supreme come up May uh, and looking forward to seeing him out um, Handstands is in the bearing Bingham uh, he did it very nicely in the Sydney Banks he's come out of the race very well I need to speak to his owners about where we go and what we do um, and then Jukebox Man I think is probably tailor made for the Albert Bartley I think, he, I think he stays exceptionally well um, so I'm looking forward to seeing him it's nice to have some nice novices um, to see how we get on with really for sure and just one of your stable stalwarts shake him up Ari will he have an entry in a handicap yeah he'll be entered in the plate and the ultima uh, depending on the ground we'll decide which way he goes probably the plate um, he's in particularly good form uh, intentionally not run between new year and March because I think he's very good fresh um, he will also join uh, a few others at Kempton uh, on the Tuesday week. And um, yeah, very in a very good place with him at the moment. Just ahead of as well, the entry weights coming out this week. Is the Grand National a realistic target, do you think, for him? It's a very realistic target in my head. Um, whether or not he gets in is another matter. Uh, in previous years, he would have, um, I think, because... Uh, when there were 40 runners, now there's only 34. It's going to make it all that bit harder. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's a race. It's a funny one. He, he, you know, you could say he's a two and a half, three miler. And will he stay that far? No one knows if horse is going to stay as far as national trips. But I know that he'll jump and travel around the national course as well as anything. And that in this in this day and age, I think is so key. Um, with the fact that uh, they do, the fences aren't as big, so they do go very strong early doors, and you've got to be able to jump and hold your posse. Uh, and I think he would, and I think he'd do it very comfortably, um, which would probably allow him to get into a rhythm, and then who knows. Um, but um, if he doesn't get into the race, then you know we've also always got the option of the topham at the same meeting. Um, which he'd be with his effective over. So um, I wasn't going to be running him in national trials or anything like that to try and get his mark up a couple of pounds um, because if he gets in, it'd be lovely. If he doesn't, we won't panic. Perfect. Well, Ben, thanks so much for your time this morning and well done again at the weekend. Thanks, Charlotte. All the best. Well, while Ascot may have had a bit of decent ground, Haydock certainly didn't and it was hard work up there, especially in the Grand National Trial. It often is. But Lee, it was another successful raid in Britain for Gavin Cromwell. 
Yeah, he had a great day um, at Hayduck, um, Charlotte. Um, he's, he's been having a lot of great days in Britain, full stop, this season. His raids have been repeatedly successful. Um, he uh, mopped up big races again on, on Saturday, headed by the Grand National Trial. Yemen has been a consistent horse this season. Um, the Grand National Trial won't prove to have been a trial for the Grand National, the weights of which come out uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, in Liverpool, the Irish Grand National is much the likelier target for Yemen. Just a, I think as well, we, we should reference the run of My Silver Lining in second, the, the MLL trained uh, mare who was so game in winning the classic chase at Warwick. She was even gamer in defeat here at Haydock. She ran a fantastically brave race. It wasn't to be for her. It looked like it might be all the way up the home straight, but she still ran a cracker in second and is proving to be a real credit to her connections and talking of a credit to connections that's exactly what stainsby girl the winner of the mayor's listed hurdle at haydock on saturday has become and the success was very much a family affair for the alexander family running in their colors trained by nick alexander and ridden by son kit who joins me now kit she's been a great mayor for you all and saturday must have been very special yeah, it was um, it was brilliant. Just a brilliant way to um, to finish her career, really, because she um, she she's been a brilliant mare for me. We just got her two years ago, but um, won well. She's won four races and a couple of really good ones. So no, it was a very special day. And she's got her own way of doing things, hasn't she? She likes to get on with it. Is she a mare that over that sort of period you just got used to? Yeah, exactly. We just kind of she you know she has her way and you kind of just have to 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 let her let her run the way she wants to run which is kind of keen from the front and yeah I'm a bit of a passenger really I just have to let her do whatever she wants. And on Saturday the ground was obviously quite testing did you ever have any worries that might have done a little bit too a little bit too much and we're going to come back to them? Um, I I wasn't too worried because she it's kind of you know, different horses like different ground, and she seems to go on that. You know, she's been round Haydock before on that ground and handled it fine. Um, and yeah, to be honest, it didn't feel the ground didn't feel that bad on her, just because you know when you got one that goes through it, she you know it. It's funny she ran on good ground at Doncaster, and the difference between the sort of speed that she's able to go on good ground versus heavy ground is not that much difference compared to the other horses that, that can't really handle it and you mentioned that you've had her for a couple of years and she's now retiring to stud but just going back to when you first got her how did you source her were you involved with that yeah we um she was at Doncaster sales so it been may a couple two years ago um and yeah we we knew a bit about her before because she she'd been running where well, she she'd run against um one of our best horses, Elvis Mail, she'd actually beaten him twice that season. Um, and so that's probably what sort of put us on to her. And then we spoke to her, to our owner and uh, our old trainer, and they were both, they were both positive about her. So, um, yeah, we were very, we were very pleased to, to get her really. Um, she's, she's not the biggest horse, which maybe that maybe meant we were, we were able to get, to, to get her for sort of reasonable money. And now being retired to stud, have you made the decision of, of who she's going to visit or is that something to discuss in the coming weeks? She's she's booked in for Logician. 
Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's who she's she's going to go to. Um, the we've yeah we've, we've got one nice yearling by logician. So um, yeah, hopefully, yeah that yeah hopefully we can get another nice one. It's exciting times as sort of one chapter closes, another one begins. And just on your self kit, you're an amateur. I think you've had is it eight rides or so this season is being a jockey something you want to pursue or do you see it more as a sort of hobby on the side uh it's very much a hobby for me um yeah i i, I used to ride more um but a few about four four or five years ago i started working for the tote um and since then it's it's very much a hobby i just ride ride my own horses really um and yeah i I think you kind of, if you're riding against professionals for, I, I, when I'm riding so occasionally, I don't, it's sort of right for the owners for me to be riding that much against professionals. So I just really ride my own ones and occasionally in, in amateur races. And what's your role for the Tate? Uh, I'm uh, basically a, an analyst sort of uh, looking at numbers. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, I, I really enjoy that side of it because it's, you know, it's it's interesting um, to do with racing. Otherwise, I'd probably work, be working for a bank or something. But it's a lot more interesting doing it when it's to do with racing. And you know, the totes very much trying to to improve the the prize money that that we get back into racing. I mean, I love um, I love being around horses and being with horses. Um, like with Stainsby Girl, I I enjoy I ride her out most days, and I really enjoy that sort of that side of it but i'm not sure that i'd want to to sort of train a, a big number of horses um yeah I, I don't know my uh sister lucy she she works for andrew boarding now she might be the one that, that takes over but we're not really sure yet kit alexander there after a heartwarming family success at haydock on saturday well, Lee, at Wincanton on Saturday, Nemean Lyon took the Kingwell hurdle. He went off quite a short price favourite for it in the end and won it nicely. Do you think he now deserves a place in the champion hurdle field? I think he certainly has, yeah. I mean, he, he's he's not going to win the champion hurdle unless things don't play out for Constitution Hill and Stateman and perhaps even one or two others but he is more than deserving of his place in the champion hurdle um yes he's a horse who going into this race had probably not burst through the the, the 150 barrier in terms of race ratings um but i think he'd run really solid races his lanzarote effort was excellent on his previous start and this was um i think a pb both in terms of uh, literal achievement and in terms of the manner of the victory he had a lot of class about him uh yes colonel mustard was closing in the uh to the final furlong or so but i thought it was a big win from uh the main line it was a perfectly good effort from colonel mustard as well in second uh, in front of a big crowd at wincanton which was good to see lots of students there as well and i would hope that both horses turn up in the champion hurdle uh, Charlotte because what we don't want is that that threat of a, a very small field champion hurdle that we've spoken about on the pod uh, more than once in recent weeks that perhaps looks less likely to happen now with Nicky Henderson also talking in uh, the post against they repeating uh, something he said on here about Lucia and Furster also being likely to run in the champion hurdle so we could get a, 
a double figure field it would be a, a perhaps a surprise now um bear in mind what we said up, up to this point but it, it would be really welcome and while we're on the topic of Cheltenham, it, it looks like Willie Mullins has another leading festival contender on the back of a comfortable success in a listed novice hurdle at Punchstown yesterday. What did you make of Tully Hill's performance and do you see him as a supreme horse? I do, yeah. yeah. Um, more important, I think Willie Mullins sees him as a supreme horse. He, he was a bit lacking, wasn't he, in firepower for novice hurdles, Willie Mullins. He was desperate in need of, <laughs> of another one to uh, add to his squad, but he, he, he's found one, bless him, so he'll be doing all right there. Um, he, he looked good, didn't he? Um, he's a horse who started his season, um, as Willie said, with, with the camp having tremendously high expectations about him. Uh, they thought he was going to be a horse who would take very high rank among the novice hurdlers. He had a long odds on defeat first time out, uh, which was a surprise, but he didn't jump particularly well on that occasion. What he was saying yesterday, following his easy win uh, in this, uh, this this listed hurdle at Punchestown, that they'd worked very hard on his jumping, particularly uh, David Casey, his assistant, had worked very hard on his jumping. That has clearly had an effect. This was a ready win. Bookmakers quoting him as short as five to one, some seven to one with a run uh, for the supreme novices hurdle. And as ever, uh, punters will go into the Cheltenham Festival, uh, and to be fair, so will Willie Mullins' owners go into the Cheltenham Festival wondering which horse will run where. And perhaps the supreme is the most complicated of all those puzzles because. Um, the horse, in a sense, the centre of everything is Ballyburn, who was so wildly impressive at the Dublin Racing Festival. He is as short as six to five on, five to six for the uh, Supreme with with some bookmakers. Um, he's also favoured at slightly bigger odds for the Bering Bingham on the Wednesday. But what he's also got for the Supreme, um, potentially for the Bering Bingham, Mystical Power, who's second favourite, Tully Hill, is now third favourite. How these horses get split up is going to be is going to be fascinating because Willie will know that if he decides to send Ballyburn over a longer trip, which some in his yard have always thought to be the most likely option, he'll still have the two horses at the head of the Supreme Market. So I don't imagine we'll get decisions until quite late. One thing that we do know though is that if Tully Hill is to go to the Cheltenham Festival. Well, supplementaries aside, he'll be in the Supreme because that's the only race he's entered for at the moment. Yeah, and if you were Paul Townend, I'm sure you'd be voting for Ballyburn to to step up in trips that you could ride the two horses. Um, but we shall see. As you say, I'm sure we won't get any clues and, until declarations, really. No, but at least we're in the same boat as the others. Because, I mean, they, 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 they you, you hear them... Uh, joking about it at times that they don't really uh, know until until late in the day. Uh, in Willie, they trust, and I guess as, as a, you, there's no point, you know, hiring a plumber and telling him how to fix your sink. You know, Willie Mullins is a master of his art. He is brilliant at training the horses. He's also proved to be brilliant at placing the horses. So um, we'll all just have to wait and see. And I just wanted to pick up on on your article that you've written this weekend in the Racing Post, Lee, because it's quite thought-provoking and something I hadn't really considered before, which sort of has been looking at the speed at which races are being run in the UK, sometimes in comparison to Ireland, and the effect that this is having not just on the number of finishers, but it goes beyond that. 
Yeah, I, I, I thought it was um, a fascinating subject, um, Charlotte. It was one that was initially raised um, with me by, by Harry Fry uh, in relation to a pretty low-grade handicap hurdle that was run at Chepstow in late January. It was a two-and-a-half-mile race uh, with a 105 upper rating ceiling and harry had one of the the runners in there a horse who won an exeter in november so uh, a horse who was talented within that grade but harry made the point that his horse just could not lay up in the early stages and if you watch the race it's not surprising why they seem to go like the clappers down the the home straight the first time at chepstow halfway down the back half of it was out of contention and in the end only four of the 12 runners finished the contest um in conversation harry also referenced a an obvious chase beginner's chase at aintree in december in which there were four runners again two and a half miles heavy ground only one finisher the three who didn't finish they didn't unseat or fall they were pulled up which seems extraordinary in a two and a half mile novice chase only one of the the four runners was able to get to the end of the race without having got rid of of the jockey and, and harry and aiden coleman um, who were similarly strong on this when we spoke, believe that there is a problem for British jump racing here. Um, one aspect of it is that they believe that horses, often young horses running in maidens and novices, are being asked uh, very hard questions very early in their careers by having to race harder early than ideally they would. And they believe that that is uh, having a negative impact on the development of those horses. It's also having a negative impact on how often those horses can run because they're having a hard time when they race. Um, And both also believe that it could be a factor in the domination of Ireland over Britain. We know there are many reasons why that is happening, but they believe one reason could be that the, the tempo the the style of racing in britain is growing increasingly different to in ireland where they and mick fitzgerald agree with this when i spoke with him uh, said that the tempo tends to be steadier earlier in the races so they won't go as hard earlier on and they'll they'll finish stronger um mick and aiden both made the point that it that in in ireland um you're more likely as a jockey to be in trouble if you go harder early and run out of gas than if you ride a patient race and don't quite get there. Whereas in Britain, and Aidan Coleman used the example of a race at Huntingdon, could be any, any track really, if you ride a forward race, a prominent race, and you're there two out but then fade, you are less likely to be criticised by connections than if you drop a horse out, finish well, but don't quite get there. And Aidan also made the point, which I thought was interesting too, that jockeys might be minded as well by potential social media abuse and that social media users would have the same perspective as connections over here in that they are less likely to be critical of a ride in which a jockey is forward but then his mount fades out of contention so the jockey's hardly gone too hard too soon than the other way around if a jockey rides a more conservative race and the horse doesn't quite get there so i think it, it, it's it's a it's a really uh, interesting um situation and a really interesting analysis one that i hadn't really um thought of it in in the way that 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 harry and aiden were both able to uh describe and i think as well some of of the comments were were, were really strong about about how uh 
how, how jockeys are being asked to do their jobs at the moment. Because obviously a lot of this comes from, from instructions given by, by trainers and perhaps a feeling by trainers that they're sending out jockeys to ride on horses who are incredibly fit and they want that fitness to be utilised. But the reality is now that it's not like when Martin Pipe came along and revolutionised the sport of Michael Dickinson and their horses were was so much fitter than everybody else's. Nowadays, most horses are very fit when they go to the races. And I just pull out one quote here from, from Aidan Coleman. I'm not, in terms of tactics, he said, I'm not sure how much jockeyship is now involved in being a jockey. You sometimes wonder why you're going so fast in a race and then hear another jockey saying, I'm just doing as I was told. You might as well use a seven-pound claimer in a handicap if you're going to tell a professional jockey what they have to do and where they have to do it. And likewise, Harry Fry said, jockeys have been given instructions that are taking the horsemanship out of race riding. They aren't being allowed to use their brains and ride properly in the conditions. The jockeys knew they had gone too fast at Chepstow, but they were riding to instructions, so their hands were tied. Anyone can ask a horse to go as fast as they can from the start, but that's not racing. And according to Harry and Aidan, racing over here has a problem. And it, it might well be that this is just reflective of a British racing culture and that the culture in Irish racing is different. Um, and when I was chatting to, to Aidan, he, he referenced um, French racing, where the 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 tempo um, bias towards a steady start and a fast finish is even more extreme than in Ireland. And we sell it in French flat racing often as well. Uh, whereas, in, for example, in, in American... American dirt racing, they go hard and try and uh, survive as long as they can. The last man standing example that that, um, that Harry used, if you look at often Australian flat rates, they will have a steady early tempo and then kick. Different jurisdictions have different cultures. But I think what's really interesting with this one is that Harry and Aidan both perceive that the, the way races are being ridden over here is actually... Uh, accentuating that bias towards hard early and then just try and survive for as long as you can. And the arguments they make about that being a, a negative for the sport, I think, are persuasive. Just, Lee, with reference there to Australian flat racing, woke up this morning to the sad news that Very Elegant had died due to complications from falling. And her owners were extremely sporting, weren't they, in sending her to Europe? It might not have worked out um, for the Melbourne Cup winner up here. But... It's a, it's a sad day for all her connections and those um, who dealt with her throughout her racing career because she provided them with some very special memories. It's enormously sad. Um, she died um, in Ireland um, due to severe complications uh, giving birth to her first foal. The foal sadly also uh, died as well. And um, I, I'm not surprised that the the response from the owners from chris waller from james mcdonald who rode it to win the melbourne cup mark zara who rode it to win the caulfield cup um has been uh really emotional um because i think she she was a a mayor who merited that i've spoken about very elegant tons on the on the pod over the years um charlotte i was a, a huge fan of her um my adoration of Winx is, is well known. Well, Very Elegant wouldn't have been far behind. I've on a, on a wall at home here, I've got a beautiful uh, print of her winning the, the Melbourne Cup by the, the Aussie artist uh, Terry Gillum. Uh, she really had a place in my heart. Um, I think 
you know, the, the European uh, end to her career didn't go well, and that was slightly predictable because her Australian form had tailed off in, in a final Aussie autumn. But that's not how we should remember her as a racehorse. She was enormously talented, enormously versatile as well. Um, she was a, a mare who won a Group 1 over seven furlongs as an older mare uh, just over a year before she won the Melbourne Cup over two miles. That, that to an extent, reflects the the way in which Australian racing works. They don't like to, to, to sort of say a horse is one particular thing, a stayer or a mile or a sprinter. They, they run horses over different trips. But it was still a hallmark of very elegant class, talent and versatility that she could uh, do that. And at her best, um, I think that was when she won the Melbourne Cup, she was imperious. And that was a stunning success in the Melbourne Cup. She was trained brilliantly by Chris Waller and his team, who, who we know through Winks and other horses, including Fangirl, who won on Saturday. They're, they're master trainers, including with with fillies and mares. And she really was one of the very best race horses from Australia uh, in, in recent years. And um, she'll be widely mourned and for good reason. Sticking with the international theme and with flat racing, uh, Lee, it was a successful afternoon in Qatar for British-based trainers, with Rebels Romance looking the most impressive of those on Saturday in taking the feature for Charlie Appleby. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he, he was good. Um, we know from the past that at his best, he's a very, very good horse. Um, we know that Safi Osborne is a very, very good jockey. One, in fact, who is getting better all the time and one whose profile is rising all the time. And that continued, didn't it, across the, the end of, of last week. Uh, Charlotte with, with uh, Safi becoming the first female jockey uh, to ride a winner um, in Maidan, Dubai's premier track on Friday. And then further success in Qatar with Emirati Anna, both wins coming for her father, Jamie, who is also someone um, who is uh, has a proven record at, at spotting these international opportunities and really exploiting them uh, with great effect. So well done to him and well done to Safi, who I think can justifiably go into uh, the, the British season with very high hopes because her reputation is growing all the time and again for good reason. Yes, a dream start to the year for Safi Osborne who's continually proving herself at a very high level time and time again. I caught up with her a little bit earlier to reflect on the weekend and started by asking how she felt about becoming the first female to ride a winner at Maidan. Um, yeah, it's probably something that I didn't really um, appreciate beforehand. Um, I, a couple of people had mentioned it to me, but I'd never really thought about it that much. Um, I think growing up in the sport, I've just always watched racing there. I've watched Dad have big winners there. So um, it's always been somewhere that's I've wanted to ride winners. And um, yeah, to do it was really, really special. And you did it aboard Uzo, as you mentioned, for your dad. He's won both his starts out there this winter. What do you think it is about the place that he loves so much? I don't know really. Um, he seems to thrive in the sunshine. Jimmy McCarthy rides him every day in. Um, we were kind of joking that we sounded a bit silly saying an eight-year-old might have improved, but judging by his <laughs> handicap mark, he's gone up to 107 now. And um, Yeah, that's by far a career high for him. And um, for a horse that we struggle to win with 
couple of years for him to win sort of three on the bounce that was um yeah really cool and testament to the horse he's um he's always been a hard enough horse to win with purely because he never runs a bad race and and the handicap is never very kind to him um so no for him to have won three now is is really really cool will he have another run out there then or where does it leave him handicap mark wise as well um, yeah, no, he can't run again now. Um, he's he's out of um, sort of the handicaps he could have run in. Um, he'll come home and have to sort of find um, a few races for him this year. Normally each year we're sort of panicking about him not getting in off of sort of 95 into the Hunt Cup and this year he'll nearly be top weight, I'd say, if he runs in that race. But um, yeah, no, um, yeah, he, it, I think I'd probably, we've had him a couple of years and I, he's such an uncomplicated horse in a race that we've always probably been... Um, sort of pushing him forward um, during, like, sort of, I, like, I've made the running on him plenty of times purely because he's so easy and so straightforward and in those big handicaps, if, a lot of the time it feels like you have to make your own luck and um, probably riding him more patiently has, has brought out more improvement. Uh, then Emiratiana on Saturday over in Qatar. That, it looks like a serious bit of planning from your dad. I don't know if you were involved with it at all because he bought him from the Tassels Horse and Training in October for 160,000 guineas and scooped the best part of 180,000 pounds this weekend. Uh, had that race always been the plan? Yeah, um, it was even before we bought him when we were looking through the catalogue. Um, Dad and Sam Haggis had sort of tried to estimate how much he was. We were going to have to. They were going to have to pay for him, and um, and then in turn, sort of finding races for him that um, that you could earn earn back his prize money. And um, this was the first race that was targeted, and um, he had one prep run in Dubai, which I, I thought he ran really well in. And um, he probably needed the run that day. And for, yeah, for him to sort of have already won back his purchase cost was really great because it kind of. Um, no, he he's he was bought for Ian Barrett, Ian and Claire Barrett and their family to have lots of fun with. Whereas they've bought a few really nice horses in the autumn of last year, and um, yeah, hopefully this is the start of a really exciting year for them. And will he go back to Maidan now to try and land another big pot over there before their season finishes? Um, yeah, I'd say the aim, depending on whether he gets an invitation or not, would um, to to go to the Alquaz. Um, um, he seems to have really been enjoying life out in Dubai and he's doing really well so um, if he can go and sort of repeat what he did at the weekend you'd like to think he could he could be there with a chance And just looking back on Qatar what's it like riding out there and what's the atmosphere like? Uh, I'd never ridden there before um, so it was yeah obviously I think wherever you ride winners you're always going to say it's brilliant but no it was a, a brilliant day of, a day of racing and top class action and um, no everyone was in good form so um no it was it was brilliant um no i think as a jockey um growing up i i you kind of dream of being able to travel around the world and ride horses in these good races and um to be able to do that two days in a row was really 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 special it's been a great start to 2024 have you set yourself any sort of specific targets for the year ahead I'm trying to stay injury free. Um, I nearly, I nearly completed completed that last year, but fell at the final hurdles. Some would say, but um, no, yeah. I, I sort of towards the end of last year, I was um, hoping that I'd get close to a hundred winners, and obviously, I was fairly stopped in my tracks. And um, yeah, it's, all, it's always a number of every jockey wants to achieve in a year, and. 
um, that's always something that would be in the back of my mind. But um, no circumstances change, so you never really know. But um, I was in the top 20 in the Jockeys Championship last year and I'd like to improve my position in that. And um, also I've, I've been very lucky between sort of dad, Ed Walker and, and some other trainers to have given me lots of good opportunities in better races and on a better quality of horse. And um, that's something that I'd love to continue into this year and um, hopefully build on it. Yeah, well, as you say, you certainly deserve an injury-free season and hopefully, yeah, 2024 will be the year. Um, Safi, thanks so much for your time this morning and well done again over the weekend. I I hope you managed to sort of stay out in Qatar long enough to have a celebratory dinner before jumping on the plane home. Um, yeah, kind of. <laughs> kind of uh, Take yeah, that as a yeah, no. I got back on the plane that night and, um, yeah, no, Lingfield today. Lee, the final bit of news we must cover today regards jockey Dylan Kitts and it's another update to his case. What's the latest there? Yeah, so just a very quick um, reminder of the story so far, if you like. Dylan Kitts was involved in a hurdle race at Worcester uh, last July um, that triggered the attention of the BHA. His mount was initially very well backed, then drifted. Uh, Dylan Kitts gave his horse uh, an eye-catching ride, but for the wrong reasons, uh, finishing uh, in third on that occasion. Uh, investigations took place. Uh, investigations are still continuing. Dylan Kitts had already had his his license suspended, but we heard in the middle of last week that the BHA had imposed an exclusion order on uh, Dylan Kitts because he hadn't responded uh, to... Um, requests relating to the investigation. He hadn't provided uh, relevant information as the BHA described it to the regulator's integrity team. So an exclusion order was imposed. And then two days later, we heard from the BHA that the exclusion order had been lifted because uh, Mr. Kitts now had provided information to the integrity team. We don't know what that information is, but by providing it, Dylan Kitts has now had his exclusion order lifted, which means he can attend racing premises. He obviously can't ride, indeed he's licensed um, at the moment. Uh, But so a slight development there, but the wider story of that investigation uh, continues. Yes, and it's something we'll be following on the podcast and bringing you any updates as we get them. Um, well, Lee, thank you very much for all of your input today. But just quickly before you go, please, can I get a tip from you? You most certainly can. I am going to take you, Charlotte, to Carlisle to the four o'clock, the book your race day hospitality now handicap chase. So don't delay on that. You might want to delay in backing my tip because they don't always win. Uh, but Shyness in the four o'clock, she's a mayor trained by... Uh, Mickey Hammond was a winner at Catrick when I was up there uh, 17 days ago and I'm tipping her to win again uh, under Brian Hughes in the four o'clock at Carlisle shyness. Well, thanks, Lee, and also thanks to Ben, Kit and Safi. I'll be back with you again tomorrow morning with all the latest news and insight. Have a good rest of the day and thanks for listening. That was episode 940. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you by Timeform the trusted source of racing data and analysis by the Racehorse Owners Association and by the racing app in partnership with Fitstairs.